0: The subject of my paper has to do with women's political engagement um, in the form of rights claiming against the state in Turkey. In doing so, I propose a reconceptualized framework of political reconciliation. And I should probably confess um, ahead of time that I will focus probably a bit more on my theoretical framework and the sort of questions I'm exploring, rather than the um, than, than the empirical findings, which I'm hoping maybe come out a bit more in the, in the, in the Q&A. Um, but essentially, I'm looking at um, developing a more robust theory of political reconciliation and what it actually entails. And I approach this for more of a um, critical legal studies or philosophy of law approach. Um, so despite its rhetorical appeal, what political reconciliation actually entails in theory and practice um, is unclear. Most of the literature on political reconciliation Deals with uh, issues of transitional justice in post-conflict contexts, with individual forgiveness and mercy of um, perpetrators of violence, and the experiences of the truth and reconciliation commissions. So yet, so while um, there's a great deal of, of moral and rhetorical appeal to the notion of political reconciliation, it remains a, a, a noble but ambiguous agenda. So. What I try to do here is to alleviate this ambiguity by contemplating reconciliation as a contextual and transactional process which aims to rupture relations of inequality and realign the terms of association and system of rights between the state and its citizens. Now, turning to the subject of of today's conference, uh, the women's rights situation in Turkey is demonstrative of a legal system which, through recent reforms to the civil and criminal codes, now offers a more uh, robust model of formal equality to women than is available to um, most other women in neighboring countries. But despite having these laws and freedoms from the perspective of the law, women still struggle, struggle and suffer to have them implemented in practice uh, by administrative, judicial, and security mechanisms and i i i argue that this pits women as rights claimers against the state in an often tacit but durable form of conflict which has roots in uh, gender-based and rights-based inequalities and since the state's strategic response has been to co-opt ignore or diffuse the conflict to which it is a party to whether it is over interference in a woman's right to decide how many children to have to wear or not wear the headscarf or gain gain legal protection, genuine protection, against domestic violence, the conflictual nature of the relationship persists. I argue that it is instrumental, if not urgent, to acknowledge the unique and conflictual features of the state-citizen relationship as it pertains to women as equal citizens. And this constitutes the core of my understanding of a reconceived idea of political reconciliation. A critical dimension then of the state citizen relationship that is corrupted by conflict, whether it's ideological, gender-based or territorial is the protection and enforcement of human rights. And the focus I adopt here is on rights claiming as an expression of women's democratic citizenship and as a process of legal, political and social engagement between women and the state within the broader framework of political reconciliation. Now, the the answer to why rights may be a straightforward one. But the reasons I think for why women activists choose to pursue the language of rights um, in their activism against the state deserves further exploration, the justifications they give for their struggle. As some feminist critics have argued, it has not been entirely clear that the language of rights is adequate to feminist objectives or how far legal rights improve the lives of women. The righteousness of rights, then, has been called into question by scholars such as Wendy Brown and others, and there is much philosophical debate over the question of whether women are then trapped in by rights as they seek to be free. But for many involved in the political struggle, um, including in Turkey, for women's rights, erasing away identities as women is not only counterintuitive but counterproductive the continued reality of de facto inequalities, should not distract from the fact that formal and codified equality of rights is a mechanism for challenging conceptions of formal equality that undermine the ability of women to present themselves as equals of men. I find that deeper reflection is necessary to understand how rights can be made more useful within the prevailing context of inequalities for women. And although the new constitution-making process in Turkey gained um, deliberate momentum last year after the June general elections, where the ruling um, AKP or Justice and Development Party won over fifty percent, near fifty percent of the vote. Women have been campaigning for legal change, constitutional reform in Turkey for many decades. When speaking of constitution making, I refer to and highlight the, the utility of thinking about the act of constitution. In Hannah Arendt's perspective that constitution entails both beginning and end. Unfortunately, given the climate of real or perceived, accurate or exaggerated polarization in Turkish society, this perspective is noticeably absent. And that's why the engagement of women in the process is critical to conceive a new sense of community, equality and belonging to the state in Turkey. The constitution, in effect, um, is the direct product of the 1980 military coup and the military's interference in politics. It has been the target of severe criticism in Turkey, both for the way in which it was enacted and for its substance. There have been uh, positive developments now. Under the AKP's initiative, uh, a 12-person parliamentary constitutional conciliation commission, as it's called, was established last year with equal participation of the four parties represented in Parliament. Um, It's noteworthy that only the the Kurdish Peace and Democracy Party, or the BDP, has a female member on the commission. Um, And the commission has already been criticized for several reasons. I won't go into too much right now, but they they were adamant that citizens and NGOs should submit their views on the constitution leading up um, to the formal drafting process, which was supposed to start in May of this year and um, the the Commission made a decision earlier this year to basically carry out the the drafting process in in secrecy and not reveal um, the comments that were submitted to them especially by um, individuals as citizens. Um, Now turning to the practice side of the framework of reconciliation I have tried to sketch out briefly and talk about some of the examples of women's activism during the current constitution making process. There's already been controversy over, um, well, three articles have been preliminarily shared with the public, and these are on fundamental rights and freedoms. The first deals with uh, the right to life, the right to bodily integrity, and the prohibition against torture and maltreatment. And, there, and these are still in their draft versions, but in its proposed language, the the article on bodily integrity and the worth of the human body. Um, has a statement on how women, how bodies, how women, individuals should be protected from being objectified or commodified, and women's groups and two of the parties on the commission have objected to this language, stating that um, it could subject women to undue prohibitions from public officials um, acting on their own discretion, trying to ban obscenity or upholding morality. The second issue, when I point these two examples out, to to highlight how politics in, in Turkey women's issues have, have been politicized over women's bodies and sexuality. Um, the second issue right now, and you and many of you may have been following this, but abortion is being deeply discussed now and very furiously. And abortion is legal in Turkey, um, and the discussion around it has emerged rather abruptly, um, initiated again by um, public officials and ministers and the government. They've condemned women as, um, as murderers, linked this to um, an, an, an event that, t- that took place in the, in the southeast, saying that abortion was almost as bad as, the, as a military attack that happened there and killed um, several civilian Kurds. Um, so this is, I think, another example of the way in which the, the entire constitution-making process, and the women's rights in particular, is being politicized by, um, by the government. Now, I must speak um, about the binary between the, the Islamist and the secular women's divide in Turkey, even though I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this divide, um, but it is there um, in certain respects. Um, I think it is important, though, to recognize that the lines of demarcation are not rigid and permanent. Although, they, although factions and fractures do exist and have been well documented elsewhere, they run across certain fundamental or foundational issues, most obviously the public expression of religion and the headscarf. Commitments to solidarity do exist, especially at the local and the get grassroots level, which is more of um, where I've been uh, involved, and as you see women from across this, this the so-called divide striving for inclusion in limited local relations of power. But women's political fragmentation does not necessarily undermine a shared commitment to women's right to protection against all forms of violence, for example. And I mention this because um, in the importance of it in terms of processes of legitimization by women working in Turkey, honor killings, high rates of female suicide, and girl child brides in Turkey's southeast, for are example, are issues that serve as a bridge between different women's groups. By sharing rights claims with certain womanist demands that cut across boundaries, women legitimize their own position within the broader women's rights discourse on one level, while deploying the right to participate in public or the political on another. Um, women holding different political worldviews share a deep concern with the issues of equality and visibility. And you see these when you when you approach the, the discourse that women's groups have been have been um, involved with in in the constitution making process. They approach the issues of equality and visibility of women from different starting points. However, and again, this is very basic, but to to re- reiterate this, women's groups tend to utilize the wider freedom or emancipation movement to which they are associated. They associate their cause as a form of legitimization. Secular women's women's groups like. The republican women claim their own legitimate spheres of action as enabled by the Ataturkist reforms and period of modernization launched with the establishment of the republic. Islamist women, likewise, appeal to the marginalization of Islam in public and link their own anti-discrimination and freedom of thought, expression, and religion campaigns to the wider struggle for the legalized public role of Islam in society and politics. For example, the Women's Constitution platform established in 2007. It's an umbrella organization encompassing over 88 women and LGBT civil society organizations and 10 platforms representing over 499 organizations. The the NGO, the Association for the Support of Women's Candidates, or CADET, holds the coordinating role for the initiative, and um, they've been mobilizing under the slogan, from a male democracy to a real democracy. And their main focus of their campaign is on the need to remove the appalling gap between the existing framework of laws, which work in favor of women in principle, and the reality, the continued reality, of multiple forms of discrimination and gendered inequality. But their interpretation of greater visibility, what that entails, is an expansion of women's participation in active politics at the national or local levels and um, their right to be elected. They work very hard, they've been working very hard on um, on, the, on the issue of the quota. They've also expressed a commitment in um, a draft document they disseminated on their recommendations for the constitution. They express a commitment to expand the scope of equality to explicitly include the identity categories of ethnicity sexual orientation, and sexual identity, and marital status. But although they're composed of a wide range of women's feminist, environmentalist, LGBT groups, prominent Islamic-oriented organizations are absent, which has caused some criticism. Although wider integration and inclusion of Islamic actors into the secular republic was made largely possible because of a series of economic and political reforms undertaken by the AKP, in the early years of its rule, this has is, this is meant that Islamist women can rely or work through and with the state to carry their interests and agendas forward. Women espousing secular trends um, work are having to work against or despite the state. And this has revealed the ways in which women's politics is animated by the, an internal network of power relations. Turning more directly to um, women's faith-based or Islamist, Islamist groups, they have been arguing and then lead up to the new constitution process that um, there should be more public discussion of the role of secularism, religious freedom and education, mandatory religion and morality lessons in the public education curriculum, and the outwardly expression of religion in public service equal opportunity for women to access higher education and participate in state public service constitutes their main rights claims." And they've been very vocal in trying to emphasize that any any vague language or loopholes in the Constitution that would um, cancel out uh, the lifting of the ban on on the headscarf should be removed. I'd like to point out that um, although I've, I've tried to give a very brief overview of the secular and Islamist divide, that this, this, this approach and this preoccupation we have in, in looking at the women's movement in Turkey within this lens is that um, there's an, the ethnic dimension of Turkey's women's movement is neglected. Um, and so the public role of Kurdish women in politics um, is not as clearly evident in, in mainstream discourse. Kurdish discourse typically emphasizes that women suffer discrimination not once but twice along both ethnic and gender identity lines. Kurdish women then are most vulnerable to exclusion and invisibility from public politics. When they are depicted in the public realm, um, as politicians, they are often often oft- characterized as being too masculine, too forward, disrespectful, um, not feminine enough. Um, on the other hand, they're, they're shown as victims of honor killings, um, or suicide or domestic abuse, but their their agency uh, as citizens of the state is less evident, if not, okay, um, is less evident. Um, I can talk about this more in the Q&A, but a parliamentary subcommittee on women's and men's equality of opportunity, and um, it is the, the formal title is Women and Men's um, equal opportunity commission, not equality commission, which has also been kind of a contentious point. Um, but they finalise a report on their recommendations on women's rights, in the new constitution. And I won't dwell on this too much, but it looks like um, the headscarf issue, of course, will be very, very much debated, and that the ban will be lifted um, based on the, the, um, the recommendations of this committee as well, eventually. Um, just to close. A close examination of the government's political discourse on the nature of women's engagement with the current constitution-making project confirms traditional conceptualizations of the role of women in politics more broadly. If women are to engage in the political, they are typecast as peacemakers, mediators, and mothers who want peace. There is a deliberate emphasis on women's perceived responsibility to become political only to the extent that they are able to foster consensus and accord. Political contestation either against the state or among women themselves is viewed as somehow unnatural. And it's important to avoid replicating this homogenizing tendency in how we think about rights claiming. As Leverer points out, the differences among women are not less important than the similarities, and conflicts that arise from such differences are not less meaningful than the agreed points. So rather than criticizing, which is often the case, and the Prime Minister has also been involved in this, Rather than criticizing women's groups for a failure to cross the secular-Islamist divide on the one hand or assume that the divide itself is insurmountable on the other, I argue there is an alternative possibility, one which recognizes the articulation of women's within differences, ideological or otherwise, as a feature of their democratic agency and as a way of opening up rather than closing down the possibility and promise of a future shared community. An important implication of my reading of the situation as Turkey is that by making rights claims, women alter the prevailing masculine presumptions about women's role in politics not only by securing greater inclusion in the political sphere, but by renegotiating the conceptual limits on what inclusion and exclusion practically mean. By constituting practices of democratic citizenship, rights claiming serves as a mechanism of political reconciliation as conceived here. Not as the restoration of moral community or forgiveness, but as a practical reality of a reconfigured, renegotiated state citizen relationship which recognizes women as equal citizens. That's all. Please do ask me questions about this. Thank <laughs> you.